Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to Working, the podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Rogan. For the last six episodes, uh, we've been talking to people who make comics, both the folks who work on on superhero stories and also uh, independent stuff. But in this episode, I wanted to talk to someone a little different, someone who sells comics. So uh, we met up with uh, Jared Smith, who is one of the co-owners of Big Planet Comics, a a chain of comic book stores in the DC area where I live. Uh, He talks about everything from uh, ordering comics, uh, what it's like to to unpack those boxes and and file them on the shelves, what it's like to uh, interact with customers who come into the store, whether they're longtime fans of the medium or or, or, uh, new customers who are looking for something that meets their own uh, unique interests. Uh, he he talks about his schedule. He talks about managerial responsibilities, money frustrations that can go with running a small business, and more. Then, in a Slate Plus segment, he tells us what comics he's interested in, which books he goes to immediately when they come out each month, uh, what books he collects, and all that stuff. If you're a member, enjoy bonus segments and interview transcripts from working, plus other great podcast exclusives. Start your two-week free trial at slate.com slash working plus. What is your name and what do you do? Uh, my name is Jared Smith and I'm one of the co-owners of Big Planet Comics, which is a group of stores in and around Washington, D.C. Uh, they're uh, comic book stores that carry uh-huh. comic books, graphic novels, and related items like, you know, superhero toys and cards and stuff. Paraphernalia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how did you how did you end up the co-owner of a comic book store? What's the backstory there? Uh, it's a series of right place at the right time, like five times in a row that I had a really boring tech job and uh, loved comics and shopped mm-hmm. at Big Planet Comics. And then one day they opened up a new store in Georgetown here in Washington, D.C. And I had complained about my old job enough times going into the store that they asked if I wanted to work there. And they hired me as the manager, even though I had no retail experience of any (laughs) sort and did not know how to open a cash register. And then uh, one of the owners, uh, there were two co-owners at that time, uh, wanted to sell part of the business. And so I took over that part of the business from him. So, you know, we, we live in an era where brick and mortar shops generally are not doing well right in general i mean especially specialty shops when right about the record stores that i uh went to when i was a teenager that rarely exist now except for you know really specialty stuff right um how is the comics business uh it's been up and down there was the huge panic i'd say well 10 years ago when digital mm-hmm. of any things first started happening but that was you know across the print industry where everyone was freaking out about it uh and that had a little bit of, a, of an effect I think the one advantage that comic book stores have, even over books, is it's still like got an element of weird OCD collectorness to mm-hmm. it that nobody, unless you're getting like the first edition of, you know, signed by Hemingway or something, there isn't a collector aspect to it. But to a lot of people, it's like I have, you know, 60 issues of X-Men 
should I just stop and start reading it digitally and get issue 61 on my, you know, iPad or Kindle or whatever? Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't want to. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's an interesting business in that way in that on, on the one hand, especially with the kind of books we've been talking about in this series, right. uh, you have things, you have issues that are coming out every month, sometimes now twice a month. Right. Uh, and then you also have uh, increasingly all of that stuff gets collected in trades, presumably right. there's a certain readership that that comes in, which is to say in, you know, kind of graphic novel-y bound books right. of six or eight or 12. So I think issues. that is the biggest current evolution in the industry right now is that it used to be that was the only way you read it. You came in once a month or however. So whatever comic you'd be reading comes out on a monthly schedule. Mm-hmm. That's how it used to be. So you come in and you get Batman number two. And then a month later, almost to the day, you'd come in and get Batman number three. Mm-hmm. But now, like you said, you can just wait and get Batman one through six in a book for sometimes cheaper mm-hmm. than buying these little books. Um, so in some ways, that's cut down on the collector obsessive nature because there are people who just walk in and say, I just want to read the Batman story. I don't want to make a monthly commitment to come in every time and make sure I didn't miss one part of this story that is now a limited out of print thing that I can't find anywhere. So I can't read part four of my story. Yeah. In some ways, comics uh, anticipated the kind of binge model of of current television uh, in that regard, uh, where they um, gave us the ability to access the whole thing at once. But they've been stubborn about it, especially the big companies have been very resistant to doing that. I think... Mm -hmm. uh, Certainly the big two, as we call it, are Marvel Comics and DC Comics who publish like the major superheroes like Superman and Spider-Man and X-Men and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very resistant to doing that for a while. And even now, some of their big books are very expensive compared to what you think you should pay for them. Mm-hmm. So That's... they're still holding on to the, the <laughs> monthly superhero thing. So yeah. I assume it's good business for them or they wouldn't be doing it. Or they think it's good business for them. Not necessarily. There's been a lot of critiques about how they're running their businesses. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it tends to go in in, uh, cycles where one company will be up and the other company will be down. And then the down company will steal the ideas of the other company and try to catch up. There's a great book that came out uh, this month or comes out maybe later this month. I'm not sure, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, called (laughs) Slugfest. Right. uh, That's about that that history uh, between the the two companies. And a lot of it is about, you know, how they related to comic book shops like yours, uh, right. how they figured out how to sell things, how how they related to you and the way that they got those books to you and such. But before we get into any of that stuff, sure. uh, let's talk more about you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've spent a lot of my life in comic book shops, yep. uh, but I suspect that a certain kind of listener has has only one association with uh, with someone who works in a comic book shop. That's the, the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Simpsons. Yep. Uh, you know, this sort of smug know-it-all who at once is distributing this pop culture, uh, you know, set of commodities, but at the same time, uh, totally hates the people that he's selling them to. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, still, unfortunately. Um, it's, I think like any kind of niche, I don't even know, like fan interest, um, there's people who think that you need to be a certain way to be involved in it. And they often act as gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. So you've seen that in Gamergate where, you know, all these misogynistic video game players don't want women or minorities to play. You've seen it in games like role-playing games. You've seen it in music where, you know, you walk up with a T-shirt and they start quizzing you on what your favorite album is when you've only just bought the T-shirt. <laughs> and that's the worst, uh, even worse, I think, for comics in some ways that for a long time there were these boys clubs mm-hmm. where... I think that because it's such a weird little industry that really caters to fans, that comic book stores didn't really even get started till the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So they're a relatively new industry. And the people who open the comic stores are the hardcore fans. And for a lot of them, they just wanted to get comics cheaper. And then they could sit in their dirty little store, you know, with comics piled everywhere. And then their best friends would come in once a week and they talk about comics. And one of the things I learned from that book, Slugfest, is that some of the first comic shops were really just sort of showrooms for people's collections. Right. That's how a lot. didn't want to sell. Back back then, a lot of uh, people would still be buying the older stuff, and the only way to find it would be from a collector. So mm-hmm. if you've you know, collected comics for 20 years, if you put that all in a room, you have a business. Mm-hmm. And so then only slowly did it evolve into like, but I also want to read the new comics. And so. so I will say, having been into, I, I mostly go into one particular Big Planet location when I'm, when I'm meeting my comic needs. Yep. It's, a, it's a well-lit store. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it um, has uh, a lot of newer stuff up front, not just superhero stuff, but but things that um, other more casual readers might be interested in. Um, 
it seems to me from the relative outside that you all are pushing back against that set of kind of negative associations with fandom. We've been trying really hard. Uh, the uh, founder of Big Planet is Joel Pollack. He still works at the store up in Bethesda that he started. Uh, when he opened in 86, his he had a partner who was much more interested in the older issues. And I think after a year or two, they both decided that they were just going in different directions and he bought them out. But uh, kind of the motto we've always had since he founded the store was that we're the, reader, uh, the store for readers, mm. which is a very distinct part of the comic's interest rather than the collectors. Sure. So we always wanted to welcome that anyone who wants to come in and just read a comic book of wherever you are or whatever you're into, we would be happy to help you out. Apart from making sure it's well-lit, trying to put things that people who just wandered in off the street might be interested in front and center, are there other things you try to do to make it a more welcoming, inviting space? Uh, yeah. Uh, one is selection. Just some stores you'll go in. Well, a lot of it's attitude that you just have to welcome everybody. Like mm. you are, ha like you said, happy to see them. Because some people, like the comic book guy, are just, they act like they're bothered by business, which mm -hmm. is, I don't understand. I think it's just that this was such like a, the only way to get these things was through a comic book store. So, sure. so many stores coasted on it that yeah. you could get away with treating people terribly. Mm -hmm. you, like, you know, you would buy something and they would make fun of you at the counter for buying it. Mm -hmm. And just like no other industry in the entire world will exist like that. <laughs> and yet it's like, well... If you want to read the next part of the story, come back next month and I will make fun of you again. So, <laughs> Have you uh, ever been tempted to make fun of someone for their purchase? No, no. Um, th there's certainly stuff that I don't like. Um, but like in strict mercenary terms, it's like you're giving me money yeah. so that I can sell. It's like the best <laughs> job in the world and you're helping me do it. And if you enjoy something, then that's great. There's like so many comic books out there. There's stuff that I won't enjoy. Uh -huh. But if you like it, that's awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's talk about a, a, a day in the life for you. Sure. Um, you own or the co-owner of these shops, right. but you also work in them. Yep. So uh, how do things get started for you? The interesting thing, like we said about comics, is most of them come out on a monthly schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, so like books, uh, new comic book, wait, new books are almost like books. Uh, new books come out in bookstores every Tuesday. Right. And for comic books, it's a slightly different schedule that every new one comes out on a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So we really work, although a comic would come out with the next part a month later, every week we're getting new stuff. So mm -hmm. it's just a week off from the schedule of a different comic. So, so we kind of work in weekly schedules. So each Wednesday you're getting just a big bunch of shipments from Diamond or whoever. Sometimes. Is, is that the distributor yes. still? Yes. Uh, a company called Diamond. That... The Voluntary Monopoly, which is a whole different topic. Sure. Um, that roughly 200 to 300 different titles. It's, I think, one of the most interesting distribution problems to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so it our week basically starts on a Tuesday uh, because that's when the books will show up at our stores. Mm -hmm. So we sit around waiting for the shipment from our distributor, Diamond, and then they come and they're just in huge brown boxes. When do they arrive in the morning? Ah, uh -huh. when is the question. And morning <laughs> is not guaranteed. Uh, usually by UPS, you can sometimes get them from other deliverers, but sometimes they show up at six o'clock at night. Fair. And we have one hour before the store closes to get all of our work done. Mm -hmm. Other times they show up at 10 in the morning and we're not open and they leave a little note saying they'll come back. So if we're lucky and we have one of our regular drivers there, they're around 11 when we mm -hmm. open and then we bring all the boxes in and pile them up, open up all these boxes, which are sometimes sorted well, uh, sometimes have not been dropped by the de delivery or by the packing at the warehouse. And if they're in good shape, then we count them all. Uh, make sure on our invoice that we got everything we were supposed to get, didn't get the wrong things or aren't missing things. Uh, and then the other weird thing about comic books is because they're on this monthly schedule, the people who want everyone will order them in advance, mm. which I don't think really happens in most other industries, at least not on a monthly schedule. Uh, and then we'll pull one out. So if you want Batman, we have to grab a copy of Batman for everyone who asked for it and put it under their name. So it's a sort of secondary inventory, an inventory of things that, that you you have to Yeah, sort of inventory to, for the yeah. customers, basically. Yeah. Those used to be called pull boxes, I think, right? Yeah, Is yeah. So there's, the there's a whole bunch of, there's a lot of weird slang in comic yeah. books that varies slightly. But yeah, pull boxes, which would literally be a box or slot or folder or something. Uh, we use actually uh, those metal shelves that are used for like mailing rooms because <laughs> they're like the perfect height yeah. and width. Um, and if you have a pull box and you want, you just give us a list of what you want. And if it comes in that week, we pull out a copy for you and put it in your box. 
which is getting done by a person. So there have been mistakes. You put it in the wrong box and people don't have what they want. So we try to avoid that. Do people pay in advance or do no? It uh, depends on the place you do. Generally, we've never done that. Um, the big advantage for us is uh, if you've ordered it in advance like this, mm-hmm. it's helping us order. Because mm-hmm. uh, the biggest problem and the ongoing joke in the industry is that there's two ways to order comics, too many or too few. Because mm-hmm. you're guessing every single time yeah. a new Batman comes up. Because what if there's a new artist who everyone loves? Or if there's a new artist who everyone hates? Or if there's appearance of a new character that everyone suddenly is excited about, you never know. Mm-hmm. You have hints at it, but your orders could be 50% too high or 50% too low every issue. So. Do you read, I don't know, the trades or something like this to figure out what people, what, what you should be ordering, what people might be interested in? Um, there, that's the problem is we order stuff two months in advance. Okay. So we don't know. Yeah. There'll be like the weird little copy from the company saying, you should buy this comic, but they say that on every comic. Sure. So there are some like hints you'll get from a few of the publishers will have like mm-hmm. trade meetings or, you know, special reach out to the retailer sort of thing. But they'll still almost always say you should buy a thousand of these mm-hmm. when yeah. we should order 10. Right. So it's always the the trust. I, in I know that um, this relatively new series, Mr. Miracle by, right. by Tom King, who we spoke to earlier in this series, uh, this working series. Uh, his series, Mr. Miracle, apparently has been selling out really routinely right. at a lot of stores. Um, when something like that happens, does it come as a surprise to you? I mean, that, that was a yep. relatively minor character invented by by this guy, Jack Kirby, in the 70s that, you know, no one really knows about. So right. you know, um, it's an unusual event. Right. So that's the problem with a lot of these. That's the same thing happened with Tom King's earlier se- series he did for Marvel, The Vision. Same mm-hmm. thing. Came out fantastic, sold out almost instantly. Uh, the good thing is now that we have a pretty good track record, like we've actually had Tom right when he was starting out came and did a signing at the store. So we knew who he was. Mm-hmm. We knew he was a good guy and we knew that his comics were good. Mm-hmm. And then he did a couple of series and they did really well. And then he took over Batman and it did really well. Mm-hmm. So he had a track record. Yeah. So once you start getting there and you're like, oh, Tom King's writing a Mr. Miracle series, this will be better than most people doing it. So we got extra and we still sold out. Yeah. I, I so, will say I went in. And I was able to buy a copy without without having it in a pull box. Or Aha, but that's because they reprinted the first one. Right. Which is a whole other problem that if something does sell out, then the companies have to decide if there's enough demand to reprint something. And if not, you may be out of luck. And then presumably in that circumstance, not to keep harping on this ordering issue, right? you have to figure out whether it's worth reordering something if they've right. reprinted it. Right. And do we get one or do we get 50? Yeah. So, and that's, uh, that's I think, the two parts of this job are inventory and customer relations, just mm-hmm. being good to people and helping people find what they want to read. So that's your your Tuesday is, is yeah. at least part of your Tuesday is right. waiting for unpacking, filing all of these floppy little books that come in. Right. Uh, what makes up the bulk of your week? I mean, that's just one day. Uh, so that the one part I left off is uh, putting it all on the computer, okay. which luckily is done through downloads with a lot of stuff. But still might not be quite so you get your digital inventory from the company right the the distributor will usually send it to you but sometimes that's wrong so you double check all that and mm-hmm. check all your inventory and everything uh so then after that wednesday is the, is the big day that's when all the stuff goes out for sale on the shelves so this used to be the biggest day of the week uh because all these weekly fans would come in immediately sometimes as soon as the store opened to get their new comics did they not have jobs no, they come on their lunch breaks. They sneak. I don't know. I'm always <laughs> curious, like how people manage to do it at 11 o'clock is when we open. It's always kind yeah. of a weird time. But I don't know if they're taking early lunch or sneaking out or take the day off or whatever. Uh, but that's been shifting a lot because, like you said, you can get these books, collecting them all, and at least for us, we try to keep stuff on the shelves for around a month. Mm-hmm. So that's what we try to order our volume by. So there isn't quite the impetus to be there right at the beginning because you might sell out. But some stores do. Like if if Mr. Miracle or Maybe some other ones that sold out by Thursday. Mm-hmm. So even if you came in one day later, then it'd be like, sorry, we don't have any left. Mm-hmm. So that's this weird problem. Uh, other than that, it's uh, the rest of the week is just helping people out, keeping the store up to shape. Uh, oh, I forgot. After we've done unpacking everything Tuesday is trying to read as much as we can. Because mm-hmm. that's the other problem is that so many new things are coming out every week right. that it's, you know, two or 300 different titles a month or maybe more. Uh, but so many books are coming out as these bigger trade paperbacks or graphic novels, which is the two terms for anything that has a spine on it. Mm-hmm. And some of those have never come out as the weekly comics before. Yeah. So you might get a 600-page book that we've never read a page of that's amazing, mm-hmm. but we have to read it to find out. Right. So, it, 
Is that something that you do during business hours? Um, I don't because I don't like reading at work because it's hard to do. Inevitably, you'll be distracted by mm -hmm. something uh, and there's enough work to do. Um, the other problem is that reading at work is super dismissive of customers. Sure. Um, so if there's nobody in the store, you could read something and we do if it's like been really, really slow for a while. Mm -hmm. But in general, there'll be work to do that you should be doing instead. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes back to the welcoming people into the store. If you walk into a store and someone doesn't say hello to you when you come in the door and they're sitting there reading a comic, which has happened to me in other comic book stores mm -hmm. when I've gone in, it just shows that they don't care about you. Yeah. I mean, they might really care about you and be you know, happy to see you, but they're not demonstrating it. Mm -hmm. And especially if you've never been in a comic book store and you've only seen The Simpsons, you will walk out and never buy a comic the rest of your life. Right. And you don't want that. Nope. Not, not good for business. Not, no. Not good for fandom. Not good for... Not good for anything. Not good for yeah. the world, probably. Yeah. Um, so when do you find time to read comics? Is that... I mean, that is, it seems like, part of the job. But it maybe is. it's not part of the working hours of the job. It's like homework, mm -hmm. sadly. Uh, especially Tuesday when you've gotten a pile of, you know, 50 comics in. Uh, the way we try to do it is take home at least anything that's a new series, the first part of it. Um, and then just read as much as you can at home. Do you, you open at 11. Does that mean you right. read in the morning sometimes? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, get up early, which is nice. Our schedule's a little off from everybody mm -hmm. else, so we have a few hours where you can read some comics before you go to work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the graphic novels are just like, read them when you can. Like, all of our employees can just take stuff home to read because mm -hmm. we encourage everyone to read as much as possible. But yeah. again, how much time do you have? Yeah. Uh, throughout the day, what are those, what's the kind of customer service like is, is are there rhythms to the day or? yeah uh so the big things are lunch breaks like you said how do people get in to actually buy the stuff and after work mm -hmm. so we get the people between like 11 and 2 and then after five o'clock or till we close or four to five, seven whatever uh, everyone else starts showing up so we get um yeah so it's the big cycles of people coming in and half of this job is just interacting with people who mm -hmm. basically are our friends at this point right um, just, you know, catching them up on stuff, but also talking about comic books. It can be, we're talking about the new comic book movie, but we also want to talk about the new comics that just came out mm -hmm. because for a lot of people, we're the kind of, not tastemakers, but we at least let them know mm -hmm. what we found interesting Yeah, because we can't keep up with stuff. There's no way that customers can keep up with stuff. Mm -hmm. So someone comes in and they say, you were, you know, they've been reading Batman right. or something. Tom King's run on Batman. You say, have you checked out his run on Mr. Miracle? Exactly. Or we'll say, hey... I know you like Batman that Tom King was writing. There's another Batman book by someone else who's really mm -hmm. good. So it's a lot of like cross-referencing what people do mm -hmm. and what they enjoy. Um, but a lot of it's just a lot of uh, the thing we always try to do is build trust with people. Yeah. Uh, because if you walk in for the first time, we're going to try and make sure you have a good experience, find something you like to read. Mm -hmm. But then the second time we, you come back in, we'll be like, oh, what did you get last time? You read Mr. Miracle. How did you like it? Right. And some people might be like, the book was too weird for me or... I'm not really into superheroes. Thanks for the recommendation. And mm -hmm. so then you try to find them something else. Right. But uh, it'll eventually get down for someone to walk in and be like, Tom King's Mr. Miracle was amazing. What else <laughs> do you have? And you're like, well, luckily, Tom King has four other series that we can recommend to you. Or, or you say, check out the old Jack Kirby stuff, exactly. maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. 
a lot of what's happening in the comics business, the comics industry now, isn't about superhero stuff right. anymore. Um, so if someone comes in and says, hey, I read, you know, Alison Bechtel's Fun Home in a college class, right. um, looking for more like that, is that something that you, you try to encourage? Yeah. So that, especially um, that we're in Washington, D.C., which is a very urban, very literate area, we, we jokingly call them the NPR books, where, you know, it's the sort of thing that will get talked about, like Fun Home on NPR, and suddenly everyone comes in looking for it. Um, that there's a ton of people who don't like, su- like superheroes is a genre, but for a long time it was like the genre of comics, which is a super weird thing when you think about it. It's it's one of the only industries where, one of the only kind of creative industries where what we call the mainstream is actually by any other standard, a very specific genre. Yes, which is very, very strange. But uh, the weird history of that is that the super fans, the people who are super, super into comics mm-hmm. are more into superheroes than anything mm-hmm. because comics used to be, I think they're like four or five times as big as it is now, maybe even bigger yeah, in the forties right. and fifties. Yeah. And romance comics were huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Kirby, who did Mr. Miracle invented romance comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Westerns were huge. Crime stuff was huge. Horror, sci-fi, all huge. And then when the Senate cracked down on comics for being mm-hmm. corrupting of the youth, uh, the only thing that really survived was superheroes because there were so many fans. That's the only way you could get superhero stories. You couldn't, you know, listen to a superhero TV show or anything like that. You couldn't see the movies because the special effects weren't good enough. So, unfortunately, that kept the industry going, which was good for us, but like really pigeonholed it for a long time. So now the people who just want to read something good come in, and a lot of them have never read a superhero comic if they've read a comic book at all. So for a lot of us, it's like. Uh, my favorite question is like, what do you like? Mm-hmm. And I'll try to vaguely answer. I'll be like, what kind of movies? What kind of books? What kind of entertainment? And they could be like sci-fi or horror or autobiographical, like Fun Home or anything. And so many books have been coming out now that are not superhero. I can almost find something for anybody. Yeah. Uh, so to return to kind of the shape of the day. Right. Um, you're interacting with people, offering suggestions during these these kind of boom hours right. around, around lunch, right after work. What are the rest of those hours? Is it boring? No, uh, because the schedule is never set. Mm -hmm. You could be like, oh, it's a slow period of the day. And then 10 tourists come in. Sure. Who could be the most like interaction you have all day because they're like, or anyone who comes in who's never read a comic book. Mm -hmm. uh, It's just, they're going to need more help than someone who walks in and says, here are my Batman books. Thank you. And walk out the door in one Mm -hmm. minute. Someone could walk in and say, I'm looking for a book for my seven-year-old kid who really likes dance lessons and hates superheroes. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you have to talk to them for 30 minutes. They're like, do they like this book or do they like that book? For a lot of it, it's still the inventory. Uh, the, the store can always be better. Mm-hmm. It's just there's so many things in so many places that you're constantly walking around, like, fixing stuff up. And then halfway through Wednesday, as we get to the other part of the thing, which is our reorder shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of skipping to the end of the week. Um, every Sunday, we do a reorder of things we sold out of. Mm-hmm. And those will usually ship to show up late Wednesday or early Wednesday, depending on the delivery. Mm. So part of that is checking in all that stuff and putting it out on the shelves. And again, is anything for somebody? Is there a special order? Somebody walked in looking for the Hildy books or whatever and couldn't find it, and we had to get one for them. Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed about the uh, the DC store, it's a relatively small right. space. At Very least, small. At least what uh, is um, accessible to um, customers. I, I assume you have back room somewhere or something like this. We have a back space that's about one foot by five feet. I'm not, not exaggerating. Yeah. It's very small. So so really it is this small space. And also the desk is near the door, the, right. the checkout desk. But you do have a sight line of almost the whole right. place. Um, is shrinkage a problem? Not as much as we hope, but yeah, something's always going to walk out the door. Um we try to keep an eye on everybody to make sure that nobody's stealing stuff. But then the other side is like, you don't want to feel like you're like, you know, hovering over anybody or distrusting of customers. Mm-hmm. So that's why we try to have a good sight line and just be like, we're aware of people, but don't distrust people, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but the other good thing is like, it's very easy to come in a comic book store and, and look confused, but mm-hmm. try to cover it up well. So if anyone's kind of wandering around for too long, we get the, you know, if you don't pick up anything within yeah. a few minutes, we kind of get the feeling you need help. Mm-hmm. And again, the Simpsons comic book guy stereotype, people are scared to ask for help, like oh, yeah. terrified. Um, presumably most of those people really do want or need help. They're not, they're not there to steal something. No, no. Right, right. And so people just kind of look around and they're confused. There's just like colors in every direction. Mm-hmm. It's like 
every single comic book store is organized differently. Mm-hmm. So we try to mimic a bookstore format in a lot of ways. But even that, we're like kind of idiosyncratic in how we do it as opposed to another comic book store. A lot of it's organized by genre, right. at least that's, for the, the trade paperbacks. That's why we're trying to do it that way because people know bookstores organized by genre. Mm-hmm. But then you could go into some comic book stores and every book is organized by title. Yeah. Which sort of makes sense, but sort of doesn't. And it's like, where do you find it? Or if you're looking for a particular author or... Yeah. Well, and, and I imagine that that is somewhere where your own choices mean that you do have to help people a lot, even if they know what they're looking for. Right. If I come in looking for uh, Alejandro Hodorowski's weird French sci-fi comics, right. I'm not sure if I'm going to find them in sci-fi or some kind of indie section. or Right. Or and then we else. have a staff pick section where mm-hmm. some of those books by Jodorowsky are. So if you look uh, in the sci-fi, that's a sci-fi book. You're like, no, sorry, we have it up front because it's our favorite. Yeah. How do you know that? <laughs> right. So uh, are those... Are people ever averse to those kind of interactions? Do they ever kind of brush you off? Um, no, because usually just trying to be very light about it. Just like, do you need help finding something? And if they don't, they'll say no. Yeah. Um, our funny extra bit is when someone checks out, we always ask that again. Mm-hmm. Because someone who could have been in for 30 minutes and come up with a stack of, you know, 400 comics <laughs> towering in their arms. And they'll be like, is there anything else you need? And they'll be like, no. Oh, actually. And so these people who are like super big shoppers who know how to shop are still scared to ask us something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you also, I assume, have managerial responsibilities as the co-owner right. of this store. Um, what do those responsibilities involve? Well, luckily, every store has a manager who handles most of the stuff that I'm mm-hmm. talking to you about for the weekly schedule stuff. Um, the thing we also do is because there are now four Big Planets comic stores, uh, is we try to help each other out with inventory. Because again, inventory is a big part of the job. So if, or if there's an emergency and we only have one copy of a book and someone's leaving on a plane the next day, which happens a lot because mm-hmm. DC is a very transitory visitor kind of place, uh, getting books between the stores usually means I'm driving my car around the beltway. Oh, really? Unfortunately. Even yeah. if they just want Mr. Miracle number two or something? Sometimes. If it's, if it's within, you know, three hours, I'm not going to be able to do it. But sure. um, I go between all the stores a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... We have the not weekly stuff, like if we're running like a signing, like when Tom King came to the store, mm-hmm. there's make sure that works and getting, you know, the table set up and getting drinks and stuff like that. So there's a lot of like extra things that happen that are not part of the normal day. When you do something like that with a, with a creator, a writer, or artist or something, uh, how does that come about? Do their PR people reach out to you? Or are you reaching out to them? Both. It depends on how organized their PR people are, um, mm-hmm. especially for comics. A lot of these artists, the hustle is all yourself. I think Tom reached out to us because he lived in D.C. Yeah. He's like, I'm on Capitol Hill. <laughs> Want to <laughs> come, come over to your store and do something? We're like, of course. Um, so it's still very much on the artists and the writers to do their own thing. Uh-huh. There's just not a PR budget for most of these things. And that's when he was writing for Marvel in D.C. So yeah. everyone else is smaller than that. So almost all of it is yourself yeah. reaching out. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of small, though, uh, I think doesn't Big Planet have a relationship with a truly small press yeah. uh, system? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have been co-publishing comics for oh, four years now. Mm-hmm. We did a couple of uh, small comics before that, which were all employees of the store. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, another good trend is that a lot of artists end up working at comic book stores because mm-hmm. it's a part-time job where you talk about art. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we published a few things on our own. And then in 2013, we started co-publishing with Retrofit Comics, which mm-hmm. is based out of Philadelphia. So I think we've released oof, 30 comics since mm-hmm. then. And we're talking like really independent yeah. stuff, uh, what are sometimes called in the business mini comics right. often. Uh, we've since started doing some graphic novels too because mm-hmm. that's getting too ambitious, I think. But anyway. <laughs> so is that a part it. of the business that, that you're involved with on a managerial side? That's you, that's so, all me. That's Yeah, yeah that takes up a lot of my day when I'm not running the stores or helping out at the stores. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm kind of like the distribution financial side of that with uh, Box Brown, who's the founder of Retrofit, being the editorial side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just announced that he's taking a break because he just had his first baby. So now oh. I'm going to be editorial too. So yeah, I'll be busy. Yeah. I mean, does that mean that you're handling submissions, looking at everything? Are you reaching out to artists? What, what does that yeah. mean? What, uh, how does that work for you? Oh boy. Let's see. Uh, so reaching out to people we're interested in publishing um, and then managing them through the process to make sure their stuff comes out on time. Uh, we've run three, four Kickstarters to raise money to publish the books, uh, talking to distributors, shipping books, um, talking to the printer, mm-hmm. 
going to conventions. That's a big part of my job now is uh, comic shows are for conventions are almost always on the weekend. Uh, and so there's a lot of shows that kind of cater to the smaller independent presses and publishers and self-publishers. One of them is uh, SPX, a small press expo that's in Bethesda. I right. Think. Yeah. Bethesda right outside of DC in Maryland and uh, go to that every year, have a table set up. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm up to seven or eight shows each year now that I go to. So that's a lot of my weekends, but yeah. yeah. So you're not just tracking this superhero stuff professionally. You're also really looking at what's happening at the kind of fringes of not, not even the industry of just yeah, comics world. Well, I think that's the much more interesting part. And like you said that, you know, someone could walk in looking for something that's not a superhero. That's where all the growth is coming. Mm -hmm. uh, all of it is a large part of it's for young adults and kids. Um, but it's, it's filling in all the gaps that we've had, you know, 60 or 70 years where someone who wanted a comic book about cooking, mm -hmm. there's no such thing. And now I can think of like five off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. um, but ours are definitely like, we've done some like memoirs and some sci-fi. We've also done some very strange art comics, I think is a mm -hmm. good way of calling it. Like these little mini comics are mm -hmm. just pushing the boundaries, trying something new and just artists being really interesting. Uh, yeah, you published um, this past year, I think, a book, Libby's Dad, that that was one of our picks for uh, here at Slate for uh, Cartoonist Studio Prize. Yep. Uh, this year. One, didn't it? It I did win. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and several yeah. other titles were, were on our short Nominated. list. Uh, yeah. But that's, I mean, it's, it's a really striking book that I would recommend our listeners to this show uh, track down that um, this really, it's about children, but it's not a young adult story, really. It's um, this really emotional tale about divorce and fear and familial violence, all done in these kind of crayon-like yeah. uh, colors. Pastel with colors, pastel, pencils or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah I'm Very not sure vibrant. What, what technique um, Eleanor Davis used for that, but um, exactly. But, but it is this really evocative, powerful, raw thing that uh, you don't see a lot uh, in... You don't feel a lot, really, even in in comics or or, or any kind of creative industry. Um, it's a rare, powerful text, um, which is why I found it so exciting when we were selecting that prize. You do, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, do you feel when you're publishing things like that? Do you feel at all responsible for the kind of state of comics of this art form? Um, I don't feel responsible, but I feel like we should be helping it. Mm -hmm. um, the literally the reason that Box Brown founded Retrofit before we got involved with it was he went into a regular comic store up in Philadelphia and you get all these, you know, superhero comics that come out every week that are, you know, four dollars or whatever, and you come in the next week and get another one. But if you don't like superheroes, you could buy a graphic novel or something that's twenty dollars or fifteen dollars, but you don't get that just fun, cheap experience. And so for him he wanted to be like, Well, why aren't there more of these things coming out? So like I said, we have gone into publishing graphic novels since, but like Libby's dad is, you know, 40 pages long. Mm -hmm. And so just just want people to be able to walk into a store and get something new and cool yeah. often as possible. Yeah. And I mean, it, there's also this kind of middle tier of, of the comics business that we haven't talked about so much. I mean, the, they're the big publishers, DC, Marvel, um, some some companies that publish superheroes, science fiction, and other stuff below, right. below that image, comics, um, Dark Horse, and others. But then there are these publishers like Fanographics, uh, Drawn and Quarterly, um, uh, Top Shelf, um, which uh, published uh, Fun Family, uh, Benjamin Frisch's book that we talked about last week. Um, do you have relationships with those publishers as well are you are you reading their listings sure. and stuff yeah yeah they i would say like the, those three in particular are like kind of the top of the independent uh or market. relatively independent some of them are yeah. owned by large publishers yeah. well top shelf yeah. got bought top shelf did. by somebody but that's very recent yeah um but they were their own thing for like 15 years or something mm -hmm. um for a lot of people doing the stuff that we're interested in that are you know boundary pushing or just not superhero genre comics anything like that you want to get published by Drawn and Quarterly or Fanographics or Top Shelf. Mm -hmm. They're like the ones that will probably get you the most acclaim and get you the most business, really. Mm -hmm. um, but now there's some huge book publishers that are getting involved, particularly First, Second, and Graphics and Scholastic. Like all these kind of big book publishers are like, Pantheon oh. Pantheon sometimes publishes me. Exactly. Work. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, all right, we'll start up a graphic novel division, mm -hmm. you know, publish a few things a year. And they're all like, of course, going to pay more money than any of these small comic publishers are. Mm -hmm. So... We always pay attention to them, but yeah, they're definitely like top of the heap. So, does that make your job harder that there are more players in the field? Uh, 
sort of in that there's just more to keep up with, but I think it makes it easier that more good stuff is getting published Mm -hmm. because this is still like a starvation industry. Like so many of these artists, especially when they're starting out, are just not making enough money to live. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Noah Van Skyver, who's done some of the most interesting comics in, I say, the last five years, worked at Panera Bread for like 10 years Mm -hmm. while drawing comics on the, you know, it's just like, These people will do, or even someone who works on a big uh, superhero book, sometimes they're doing it because they had to take a break from their own work that they're very interested in because it wasn't paying enough. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm going to work for a corporate industry on a Batman comic for six months and get a paycheck and then come back and do it. So So, apart from the comic stuff, which I imagine is easier to be passionate about, what about those other managerial responsibilities that uh, that I assume occupy some part of your days or your weeks, right. hiring and firing people, things like this. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, I, I fear confrontation in all forms. So <laughs> I will definitely delegate to a hatchet person. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, the, the best part about it is that um, I say almost everyone who's ever worked for Big Planet Comics, including myself, uh, start off as a customer. Mm-hmm. So right from the front, you know, what is this person's taste in comic books? So do they kind of match the ethos of Big Planet that you like a lot of different things and are excited about comic books? But also, are they good people? Do you get along with them? You know, I, I went into the Big Planet comic store for like four years every Wednesday. And so they knew who I was. They knew how annoying I'd be or, you know, how good I would probably be at something. Um, so hiring is the best. And mm-hmm. like, this is still the best job I've ever heard of or come across in the world. It's like, mm-hmm. you're just like selling mm-hmm. fun things to people who are excited about them. Yeah. It's it's awesome. Um, so hiring, great. Um, firing, we hardly ever had to do unless we were like downsizing or mm-hmm. switching up schedule or something. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, people. Uh, I guess it, if you are hiring good people who are passionate about what they're doing, right. then it's easier to not have to fire them. <laughs> right. The Our newest store is one we took over from another owner up in College Park, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the employees has been there 25 years. Wow. So there you go. Are there any other responsibilities that we're passing over here? Anything that I'm not thinking about? Uh, Do you spend a lot of time looking at the financials? I was about to say the money. Uh, It's always like uh, that you get terms from the distributor. I was was joking about them as a a voluntary monopoly before. Diamond is the distributor for Marvel Comics, DC Comics, Dark Horse Comics, Image Comics, and basically any other big weekly comic publisher. Mm -hmm. The only place you can get it is Diamond Comics. So they're all there by choice. They were investigated by the Justice Department, interestingly. <laughs> and they're like, well, everyone chose to be here. Yeah. So there's no competition. It's You're stuck with them. So uh, they're not horrible. But if something goes wrong, you don't have any other choices about it. So, um, But usually when you first sign up with Diamond, you uh, write a COD check or whatever to get your comics delivered to your store. After you've been with them for a few times, they'll extend you terms. So I think we're up to like a few weeks, two or three or four weeks on mm-hmm. pay. But that's it. So every week, a huge shipment of stuff comes in. Um, and then a few weeks later, you got to pay the bills. So a lot of it's like, do we have enough this week? Do we have a slow week? Is the summertime good because everyone's out of town? Or is it or is it bad because everyone's out of town? Or kids are off of school? And then it's payroll and paying bills. So. Is it ever tough? Oh, yeah. It's, it's always tough. Um, because it's, it's a small industry. No one's doing this to get rich. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of like money comes in, money comes out. So. Um, you mentioned earlier that the constant struggle is always to figure out, to avoid ordering too little, right. ordering too much. Um, I imagine that sometimes you do end up with, a lot. you know, 50 <laughs> unsold copies of yeah. Superman 13 or something like this. Right. What do you do with those things? Or is there a way to get your money back? Not really. Uh, that's the other interesting thing. Uh, comic books, stores, and with Diamond is all on a non-returnable basis. So if you work at a bookstore or run a bookstore, you could order a bunch of books and say, I'll get 20 copies. And if they don't sell, you can send at least some of them back to the distributor. Mm-hmm. For us, everything that comes from Diamond, we paid for it and that's it. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a lot tougher that you have to guess right the first time. Mm-hmm. But you're right. We mess up a lot. Um, something could be unpopular or whatever. Um, so we have two ways of dealing with it. Uh, or three, I guess. You can always do a sale and like just say, take a comic for a dollar, you know, just discount it to get some money back. Um, but then we'll go to conventions, like we went to the one up in Baltimore, the Baltimore Con, mm-hmm. and then the local DC One Awesome Con, and we'll just set up a booth and be like, hey, everybody, here's some comics for cheap, or mm-hmm. you know, buy 10 of them for $5, or whatever deals you want to do. Yeah. Um, but the other big thing has been the internet with comic book sales, that before you would have to go around store to store to find you know issue two of your Batman story you couldn't mm-hmm. find for 10 years. 
And now you can just search on eBay or a comic book store online and do it. So a lot of those are buying. So they may pay you like, I don't know, five cents a pound or some terrible, terrible amount of stuff. But we'll just fill boxes and send them off to those guys sometimes too. Just make back some of that loss. Right. It's all at that point. It's already just anything you get back is an advantage. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a few places you can give them away to like um, a lot of uh, service people overseas are happy to get comics. And then you can donate them to libraries or to prisons. Uh, prisons are very difficult, though, that they have a lot of limitations on what kind of reading you can send. Mm-hmm. So if it's violent, which is like every superhero comic <laughs> ever made, they're like, they don't want it. So, yeah, it's I'm sure the people who would want it the most can't get it. So, yeah. um, what are the most I mean, I feel like we may have touched on some things that, that could be answered to this question. But what are the most frustrating parts of the job? Um, hmm, that is a good question. Uh, when you're trying to sell something and people are not excited about it, that's. Mm-hmm always the worst especially you kind of feel like you're just not communicating well yeah. you're like trust me this is the best comic you're ever <laughs> gonna read and they're like no i just want to read my own comic um so that's frustrating i think also that there's so little control to it that mm-hmm. um particularly now with the uh, i don't know if tom or anybody else talked about this but marvel comics has been going through a down swing in their product lines and people have not been excited about it mm-hmm. That so much of the industry, I'd say like Marvel and DC, each are 30% of the industry still. Mm-hmm. So that's 60% of everything we sell. Yeah. Um, and we have no control over it. If they make bad comics, we don't have anything to sell that people are excited about. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the whole comics industry went through this um, boom and bust in throughout the 90s and in the right. early 2000s where um, I guess this was before your time working professionally in the business, right. but but where there was this huge so-called speculator boom where people thought that, you know, every issue of X-Men number one was going to be able to sell for a million dollars in 30 years or something right. like this. So three, four million copies of these right. of these books would sell, which is totally in, unprecedented, insane relative to current numbers, right. uh, I imagine. Um, yeah, I think currently Batman sells 50,000 copies right. or something ridiculously low. So. In books selling 20, 40, 50 times. Yeah. Uh, that much for a single a single issue because people thought that they were going to make money off of it. Put your kids through college. Put your kids through college with X Men yep. number one, which, unsurprisingly, didn't happen. But it did create this huge expansion and then contraction right. um, in the industry. Are there ways in which those kinds of boom and bust movements are? Can can you still feel things like that? Yeah, you can see it coming. Uh, we're worried about it now because I think there's so much desperation in the big like that Marvel's putting out stuff that doesn't sell well for them, mm-hmm. so they're trying gimmicks. So we are seeing a lot of uh, return of a lot of the tricks and gimmicky Mm -hmm. maneuvers they did in the 90s. You'll see like limited edition covers. So the big thing they start right now is a a lenticular, which is basically a 3D printing effect. So if you turn the cover, it'll rotate between two images. Mm -hmm. So they started doing that on some comics, like literally two weeks ago, they started doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing that's super huge that I hate is the variant cover, which is a super ridiculous way to try to make things more collectible. So the big one I remember this for is they relaunched Star Wars a few years ago because uh, Marvel got bought by Disney, surprisingly. Uh, and so now they said, let's make our own comics through Marvel Comics again. And uh, Star Wars number one had a thing where if you ordered 1,000 copies for your store, per store, you would get one copy of the exact same comic with a different cover. Mm. So, of course, this is artificially making this a very, very rare thing because most stores will never be at, like, you know, at most order 100 copies of something. Mm-hmm. So just you'd be spending nine times as much to get one thing. Right. Which you and probably can't sell for nine times as much. You could. Um, that's right, fair. But then you end up with 900 copies you can't sell. Right. And back to the problem you just said, if you got just stacks of stuff lying around the store. Mm-hmm. So, of course, then Marvel's like, we had the most popular comic ever, Star Wars. And you're like, well, it got ordered, but nobody's reading it. Right. So, are there ways that you, as a business person, can push back against those kinds of efforts, or are you yeah. s- responsive to the fans that do come in and want the variant cover? Oh, sure. We we try and help them out if we can, but we've literally had to tell customers we can't get what you want because we can't meet the ordering terms for it. Which is that I think is the most frustrating thing of all. That mm-hmm. um, for these three D covers that we've ordered, some stores just couldn't do it because again, to order those, you had to order like. 200% of a previous title's numbers, which was already a big title. Mm-hmm. So they just arbitrarily set like ordering levels to do it. Mm-hmm. And we're lucky that we have four stores that work together. If you're a new store that just started out last year, you just won't have the volume to pull it off. Yeah. Um, but there is like a few comics industry uh, things. Uh, comics Pro is the biggest one that we're a member of. 
and that's a group of uh, comic book retailers as a you know professional industry group. And we've tried things. Uh, one of the members of that sued Marvel successfully, I believe, in the 90s for messing up their uh, shipping terms. Mm-hmm. So there are a few kind of unionizing maneuvers that we're trying. But even then, they only listen to us so much. So there are things that are frustrating. Yeah. What is most satisfying about running a comic book sh- store? Uh, for me, my favorite, especially is when I'm working at the store in downtown Washington, D.C., is when someone comes in who's a visitor or a tourist or just hasn't read comics in a while and are just open to reading stuff because that's kind of like the expertise that only you as a fan of the comic books or graphic novels or whatever can have that you've suddenly made a personal connection with someone to be like, just tell me what you want and I'll and find something that they love. It, it's like the best feeling in the world. Because one, like, or if the, some children come in who have never read comics, that's also the best when I find something good for them. Um, but yeah, just connecting with someone and getting someone a good story that they've never seen before and they really enjoy. Well, thank you so much for joining us to talk about your very cool job today. It's fun. It's, it's great to talk about. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. A, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. Uh, you're a podcast listener. You found lots of shows you love, like this one, we hope. Um, but what about shows uh, for your kids, a podcast for your kids? Um, until now, uh, offerings have been spotty and hard to find. That's why Panoply created Pinna, an entire audio service just for kids. Pinna is a standalone iPhone app filled with hours of original stories and serials, great podcasts, and all-you-can-listen audiobooks. And there's more added each week. Audio gets your kids off of screens and lets them use your imaginations. Pinna is ad-free, guilt-free, and a great activity for car time, bath time, group time, bedtime, or anytime. Uh, anytime, I assume, as well, that they're not reading comics. Give your kids comics, too, and give them Pinna. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts about working. Our email address is working at slate.com. You can listen to past episodes at slate.com slash working. Audio assistance for this episode was provided by Afim Shapiro, and this episode was produced and edited by Benjamin Frisch. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.